Hello and welcome to another Toonami Preflight, where today we're going to delve deep inside the psychosis that is us. We do that every week. More so. Slightly more so. Uh, we're a little more upfront. In a more real way. End. In a more transparent way. Yeah. We're bringing everyone else along for the ride mm-hmm. that is our crazy. Yep. Uh, as we talk Perfect Blue and the movies that scared us the most that probably shouldn't have. Um, and I think that's a little different for everybody, but we'll get into that when we start talking about ours and yours. Uh, you have a little special extra treat today for the yeah, people? Yeah, I'll be doing uh, moving pictures. Yep. Exciting. Just talking about the red turtle. I've not seen the it. The movie, not an actual red turtle. Well, it's a little disappointing now that I yeah, find that out, I'm but sorry. I'm still looking forward to it nonetheless. Uh, but let's start off with Perfect Blue. The 1997-ish? 97, yep. Satoshi Kon masterpiece slash horrifying. Well, there's some Whoa. noise. On. Look at all that noise on your shirt. I think shirt. I'm finally You're static going over to my... You're uh, disappearing into it. There we go. To the next. Um, <laughs> go! One of his fears is <laughs> becoming part of Perfect Blue. Um, so Perfect Blue uh, is from the great Satoshi Kon... Uh, rest in peace. He's uh, best known for probably Paprika, which was the inspiration for um, Inception. Um, but he did three or four movies. Or he did four movies, and then he worked on a bunch of movies, and he did the series Paranoia Agent. He's probably, other than Miyazaki, the genius anime director people talk about the most often. Um, and he died uh, in his 40s, I believe. Way too young. Um so Perfect Blue is the first movie he did that he got really noticed for, and it is a psychological thriller. Um, it's about a young woman who is a, a, a singing idol, like part of a girl group, um, and she decides to quit the girl group, and she's an aspiring actress, so she's trying to move on with her, take the next stage in her career and become an actress. Um, and she starts... People think bad things start happening around her. There's a psychotic fan who has a website that has diary entries that are supposed to be from her that know way too much about her life. So she starts getting paranoid. Paranoia. Um, So there's also a psycho fan who starts following her around. um, And then people around her start getting murdered. And then she... That's always a bad sign. Yeah. And then she basically gets to a point where she can't distinguish between reality and fantasy where she keeps sort of wondering if she's the person committing the murders because yeah, there's like evidence that links her to it and her yeah and disassociation so, from reality is yeah, sometimes they don't sometimes they don't tell you but you're seeing things from her point of view and you're not seeing actual reality and then they cut to actual reality and so there it's really yeah it starts to become the intentionally narrator yeah. within the story and and it's a lot about the isolation of um, what's the character's main character's name? Mima. It's a lot about the isolation of Mima um, because she is basically. I mean, it's a lot about misogyny too because she's she's perceived she's portrayed as like a thing the whole time. So first she's a pop idol, then she gets her TV role, and people are like talking about her without including her in the conversation. She's just expected to sit there and be quiet, and then she's sort of transitioning into this movie role and she does this rape scene that is super traumatic and she's overly sexualized and so it's like it's a lot about how 
star culture sort of warps people. And also it's a lot about misogyny. And we have, there's a ton of shots of her sort of isolated and alone. It's a lot about her isolation and not having real human interaction or experiences other than with managers and people yeah, and that... Managers all fucked up. Yeah, and her too, managers so. messed up. So, <clears throat> spoiler alert, if you haven't seen the movie, I mean, it was out in 97, so you get, off, get off your ass. But it turns out that her manager, who was a former pop idol, is the person who has had a real psychotic break and who has been murdering these people and then eventually tries to murder her because when she did the rape scene, she felt like she killed the, the idol character and this her manager, who was a former pop idol, can't take it, so she, has a, she snaps and starts dressing like mommy uh, in her pop idol guise and, and killing all the people that were on the film set with her and then comes after her. It's a bit of an extreme reaction. To, to jam, <laughs> psychotic <up>. break. <laughs> so, and then you know, it it sort of emerges that her mommy's sort of psychotic breaks that she was having was more of a folia do, which is like a psychological term for when one person's sort of uh, psychosis infects another. Um, and I, that's supposed to be the result of the stress and loneliness and isolation she's suffering as. You know, being a part of this industry that just grinds people out. Um, so it's very much in the tradition of like your more. It's it's definitely set up in some ways like your classic Hitchcock thriller, but then there's a whole lot of European art house sort of elements, especially the unreliable narrator part, and keeping you guessing as to whether or not she's the one who's doing it, or she's just crazy, or you know something, or the crazy fan is doing it. Um, evidently it was based off of a novel but they changed the no they changed it quite a bit from the novel and it was built as an OVA because uh, the anime industry at the time they didn't think a movie like this would make money in the theaters because it's really violent and kind of got, has that rape scene and, and some stuff that's disturbing so back then shows like that, stuff like that didn't get theatrical releases in Japan so it was straight to video it was originally going to be a straight to video live action movie and uh, an earthquake happened the year before, and the company where the set was got destroyed in the earthquake. So they said, well, we'll just make it into an OVA. Um, yeah, so, to save money, which seems like... I mean, that's weird, but... Strange cool. accounting, but... But uh, in Japan, you can save money doing that, not in the U.S. Um, but so it's, it's weird, because like most of Satoshi Kon's movies, it's got a lot going on, multiple levels... Uh, it's also beautifully framed and really well animated for an OVA. Um, but a lot of his movies, weirdly, you could see them as being live action or animation. But he just tells, he wants to tell the story with animation. Um, but Perfect Blue, you could make a live action version of and it would be pretty much the same. You wouldn't have to yeah. cut much out of it. I don't think they need to do that. Um, Darren Aronofsky. Yeah, tried Darren to do that a couple of times. Yeah. Apparently, I saw an interview. I read an interview with Satoshi Kon, and he met Darren Ar Aronofsky because Aronofsky, for a while, was talking about doing a vert and like making Perfect Blue. And he told him about the scene from Requiem in a Dream, Requiem for a Dream, where he basically uses the exact same shots of Jennifer Connelly screaming in the bathtub that's in this movie. 
And he said it was an homage, it was an homage, and evidently Satoshi Kon was like, oh yeah? Oh, I guess I should just start stealing from whatever movies I want and call him an homage. Like, he wasn't Not cool, down. Yeah. He said he flew on a plane with Jennifer Connelly and he wanted to talk to her, but he felt too nervous. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, certainly the movie Requiem for a Dream uses direct shots, and then the movie Black Swan is very similar in structure, is very similar in tone, and it's very similar in... I mean, yeah. Other it, than the the art that they're doing, it's yeah. the exact same story. Pretty much, and the fact that it's not ultimately a, her manager killing, yeah, freaking out. It's her. But a lot, it had a lot of the same shots from this movie are actually recreated in Black Swan. So obviously, Darren Aronofsky was hugely influenced by this, um, and you know, Christopher Nolan also influenced by Satoshi Kon. So um, if you haven't seen this movie. I think there we, is still a little bit of a plot twist that we haven't given away, so don't give up on it entirely. Yeah, at the um, very end. What? Uh, what? Where did we put it on our, on the list of paste anime? Do you remember where? It's like uh, forty. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. I would say it's his second best work. I think Paprika is his magnum opus, but I think Perfect Blue is almost as good. It's just Paprika's a theatrical so the animation's a little smoother and, and for being beautiful. 30 years old it's still it looks crazy well. how good it looks yeah um, you speaking of which it's pretty hard to find you can get it on DVD I have it on DVD it's on Blu-ray in Tokyo <laughs> in Japan but it's not with English subtitles uh, it was originally released by Manga Entertainment on a sub and a dub and that DVD goes for like 80 bucks um, but it's also it's out there on the web I'm just waiting for some sort of remastered version it's hard to get any of his movies actually which is bananas to me but i'm waiting for a remastered version because it really is worth checking out at the highest quality um but for now let's look at this this is the promo that manga entertainment entertainment put out when they brought it to home video in 1997 or early 98 and this is actually the uncut version so this this has more than was actually in the theatrical release in terms of the violence so let's check out this promo Mima was a pop star. This is Mima's last performance with Cham. Who desired to become an actress. I really hope that I can entertain you just the same as an actress. But sometimes... Aspirations can be deadly. I'm always watching Mima's room. In the world of make-believe. This is when Mima proves herself. The price of fame. Don't worry, Mima, it'll be all right. May not be worth the cost of identity. Where did this come from? How do they know so much? Innocence is lost. <gasps> Dreams become nightmares. And privacy no longer exists. Where everything you do can be seen by everyone. And those you trust are really those you should fear. Your life no longer belongs to you. Excuse me. Manga Entertainment presents Satoshi Khan's animated psychological thriller.
A lighthearted romp. <laughs> so yeah, um, a dark psychological thriller if you're in the mood for that. This is a good time to... October's a good month yeah. to try to check it so, out. Um, so on sort of a similar subject of not knowing your own mind and what people are afraid of, uh, Gil and I thought it might be fun to talk about some m- things that scared us, movies really, that scared us that shouldn't have. Uh, yeah, and I think what that means is... For the most part, I feel like it's movies you saw as a kid... Oh, uh, for sure. ...that I mean, got into your head, except yeah. for... Unless you're really crazy. Right. Or augmented in some way. Um, I don't know what the fuck you talk, you're talking about, but cool. Um, I think for most people, when they're scared of something, they quote-unquote shouldn't be. In other words, you're not watching a horror movie. It's because there's an aspect of it that tweaks some personal... Yeah, like fear that you have or are developing as a kid or in some cases when you're a kid and you see it you develop a fear after seeing that Um, like for my daughter she saw an episode of some TV crime reenactment show and it was like about a home invasion where people got murdered so then she started worrying about like I think when you're a kid you see things and then you realize that's the first time you're being exposed to it and you're like wait that can happen this happens right um which is a more grounded fear than any of the ones I'm going to talk about. <laughs> so first up for me, when I was a kid, um, none of you younger people are going to remember any of this, but there was a show called In Search Of, uh, which was hosted and uh, voiced by Leonard Nimoy, Spock from Star Trek. And it was a 70s, early 70s show uh, that aired on PBS. And it was basically Leonard Nimoy going and talking about um different kind of like aliens or like just just unexplored mysteries and phenomena yeah Yeah, and a lot of it was just you know horse shit like just they're just making shit up but that was the first place that i found out about bigfoot and as a kid in the (laughs) 70s this footage right here of bigfoot was a huge deal and people were that was when the in the whole it's a cotton cottage industry now is like finding bigfoot there's like tons and tons of tv shows about it which i can't even imagine caring about but when i was a kid i was that there was less fo- entertainment in the world so yes yeah, was- this footage in particular freaked me out and the wit in the place i saw the footage was in an episode of in search of because my family watched in search of and i was kind of creeped out by the overall vibe of in search of period I just knew that even at that age, I knew Spock was doing the voice. So I was like, okay, Spock's not going to leave me wrong, but this is a little scary. But mom and dad kind of like it. And then when this episode aired, which is the fifth episode, this freaked me out. And I had bad dreams about a giant gorilla or Sasquatch-like monster breaking into my house for like a fucking straight How old was it? How old were you before you started changing that dream and you were killing that Sasquatch (laughs) man beast? Probably not till a teenager. Um, So let's watch. This is just the... the, It's really dark, so I apologize. I couldn't find these in good quality on the web. You mean it's a horrifying... (laughs) But... So um, it's super seventies, but this is the this is a clip from the opening of that episode of In Search of, where they talk about the Sasquatch. Check it out. A giant hairy creature, part ape, part man. Indians call him Sasquatch. They believe he is as gentle as he is powerful and mysterious. He's been seen many times in the rugged mountains and deep woods of the Pacific Northwest. The encounters have not always been peaceful. 
1924, a small group of men were working a mine in a canyon near Mount St. Helens in Washington. One night, the miners took their weapons inside and bolted the door. They thought they were secure for the evening. Outside, something strange was happening. The cabin was under attack. Boulders rained on the roof, and someone, or something, was trying to break in. later described their attackers as large, hairy apes. The siege lasted several hours. escaped injury that night. The area now known as Ape Canyon is one of the many places in the Northwest where man continues his hunt for this elusive creature we call Bigfoot. So yeah, I mean... I wonder how many of those scenarios are just everybody on both sides of the cabin was just drunk out of their fucking mind. <laughs> no doubt. Well, I mean, I'm sure it was just a bear. I mean, whatever. These right. guys were just drunk and it was a bear. Or it was a drunken, hairy guy yeah. trying to break into the cabin <laughs> but, and they'd, like, barricade so, I mean, the door like, As they an adult, you could laugh at that or even, it sounds like the setup for an awesome movie. A bunch of guys are are under siege from yeah, a bunch it's of hairy the thing creatures. in yeah. the Pacific Northwest. Um, but, but as a kid, the footage of the creature walking around and the sound design and the whole vibe just scared the ever-loving yeah, shit I mean, out of me. It was the Loch Ness monster and yeah, I mean, Bigfoot just, were just always like around oh, the corner. Oh. And I mean, even at this time, I think the big Bigfoot showed up in an episode of the Six Million Dollar Man, and yeah. Steve Austin had to fight Bigfoot, and it even freaked me out in the Six Million Dollar Man because I was like, oh, Bigfoot, <laughs> and so. Um, it wasn't so much as a fear of Bigfoot. It manifested more as just dreams of a giant, like, ape crashing into my house. Little did I know that one Future day Jason was coming I back would to be haunt. the ape crashing through my house. Early, yeah, Early Jason. Um, I just hadn't yet come into my full form. Uh, so monkey style, you were so just I was probably, revisiting yourself. I was probably four or five when, when I saw that. So, you know, yeah. like, nowadays you wouldn't have a four-year-old watch something like that because you would think that maybe it would be a little creepy for a four-year-old right but back then but in the 70s you were handed a beer there was and no said, cable. come on yeah, sit down we're, we're watching exactly this shit. In the 70s they gave you a beer and a cigarette and you had three channels to watch and you watch whatever the fuck was on so um it was a different time kids indeed so speaking of the 70s this movie gave me nightmares for forever which is crazy i don't really have nightmares as an adult but i used to have them all the time as a kid Till I learned that I could be the one causing nightmares, right. as Gil will attest. Indeed. Um, so this is 1973. It's a made-for-TV film called Don't Be Afraid of the Dark. It was remade by, uh, produced anyway, by Guillermo del Toro, uh, I think in 1999. It was not well-reviewed. I never saw the remake. Uh, it can't be any worse of a movie than the original. This original is a complete piece of shit. So I probably saw this movie when my mom was watching it. Um, I would say the movie came out in 1973. I was born in 71. So I would say that I was. it probably was a rerun. So it must have been around 75. So I would have been, again, around... I was pretty scared of things when I was four. 
I think that's what a, what a, legitimate. What a fucking baby. But anyway, um, so this movie is about a couple that moves into a new house, and the previous owner has disappeared, and they get it for a bargain. And it's really kind of gaslighting the movie because, like, <laughs> it's about a woman who moves in and her husband, and she's a young wife, and the husband is sort of this domineering work workaholic guy who doesn't really take her seriously. And there are, it turns out there are creatures. There's a hole under the house that goes down to this other dimension or something. There are little creatures that are, like, this big. There are little hairy-like creatures that live in the house and want to turn her into one of them. They want to, like, kill her, and then somehow she will turn into one of them. And they keep torturing her and tormenting her because they think it's funny. And the husband doesn't believe her that anything's happening. And he's like, I don't think, it, being in the 70s, I don't think he was supposed to come off like the asshole he is. But he's just looking a more at traditional it, father. Yeah, looking at it through a modern lens, he's like, I'm trying to do, I'm trying, I've got my briefcase here, dear. I can't have time for your silly woman nonsense, you know, like... So um, the creepiest thing about this movie, because it's a terribly made movie, terribly shot. It's literally, I own it on DVD because I felt like... Just I should, to conquer your fears. Yeah. But it, it is so bad. Um, really hard to get through. But the thing that's creepy about it is these creatures talk to her in these whispers. And she keeps seeing little little glimpses of them like hiding in a cabin. And it's just like a little hairy arm. And then they whisper at her. And the whispering part freaked me out. When I would lie in bed at night, I would wait to hear the whispers of these creatures. Which, like, waiting to hear a whisper at night is like, uh, then you just start hearing it's yeah, like, anything. Yeah, then you just you hear any noise. You're like, <laughs> so um, again, this is technically kind of a horror movie. But it is so ridiculous that I have to say it's definitely unintentionally scary. So here's a scene. It's really dark. The one, I'll set it up for you because you won't be able to see it very well. The woman is in the shower. Her husband is doing... He's working on his papers in the bedroom. And the creatures go into the bathroom and they turn out the light in the shower just to freak her out. And then they put a straight razor on the floor... Just because it'll scare her, I guess. That's their. These, I guess logic is in the strong suit when you're a little creature who lives in cupboards. So um, let's check out this scene from Don't Be Afraid of the Dark. So, fun fact, the woman in the shower who's being tormented in this movie is the mom in Better Off Dead. Nice. (laughs) 
French fries. <laughs> French bread. Um, so again, pretty ridiculous. But, but the, the, the whispering's a little creepy. And there are creepy little hands. Yeah. Little hands are always creepy. Yeah. Sorry, Donald Trump or other people with little hands. It's creepy. Sorry, um, other people with little hands. Yeah. Well, no, I'm not sorry. Your hands are creepy. Just own it. Cool. <laughs> um, so that one freaked me out, and I would have nightmares about being whispered to by these little creatures. And then uh, a little older, so now I would guess I'd be f- uh, nine years old, ten years old. So HBO back in the day uh, didn't have very many original shows, but one of its first original programs was a weekly anthology series called The Hitchhiker. It was a thriller. Um, and The Hitchhiker, the main character, he was more of like a Twilight Zone. He just would come in and do his little Twilight Zone speech, and then he would hitchhike through. They would always like start the episode with him hitchhiking and the main character of that episode driving by him or something. And he would always sort of give you the little moral lesson, very much in the in the you know style of twilight zone and much like the twilight zone sometimes these episodes were supernatural sometimes they were more thrillers but they were almost always moral tales of someone getting comeuppance for doing something um the reason i watched it in secret at night is because it had gore and nudity and when i was a nine-year-old boy i was like oh yeah (laughs) um so my parents didn't want me to watch this. They didn't know Which I watched it. Which made it, it. even yeah. sweeter. So I would get up and go watch this at night. I didn't watch the series in the beginning because I thought it was the series for The Hitcher. And oh, that yeah. movie scared me so oh, much. I love The Hitcher. I was like, meh. Yeah, The Hitcher's are rad. Um, but so it's, again, not very well made. It was super low budget. I think HBO was doing this and maybe Dream On at the time where they're two big original series. Yeah, this is first pre First and 10. It's it like pre First and 10, pre not necessarily the news. All this old HBO stuff, real cheap. Um, so not at all actually scary. But you know what weird? What weirdly I found scary was the open of the show would creep me out. Like the show itself wouldn't creep me out, but the open would. So this is just the open, which is literally just this... Which is model Reacher, dude, just wandering story. around. It's just him wandering on the around the highway. But for some reason, when I was a kid, it creeped me out. I was like, uh, you know, I maybe it was because I was like, I don't want to get caught, <laughs> you know. But here's the open for the hitchhiker. There's nothing scary about that. It's just a dude wandering around the desert. It's what's scary is this bad haircut. <laughs> but like for some reason, it freaked me out. Because um, I mean, when we were kids, 
since we're old, there was no internet. So you, unless you saw it in the theater or at a friend's house on home video, you're probably going to be scared of something you saw on TV when you shouldn't. Because that was really the only place, yeah. other than maybe I guess you could read a book with something that you shouldn't. But for the most part, for most kids my age, it was television because... If your parents are taking you to a fucked up movie at that age, at a young age, it's you got bigger problems than. But it's not right. like now where a kid can pull up the internet at four years old and get like someone's head being decapitated. Like the world is way more yeah. complicated now, um, <laughs> which is why I don't think people are growing up afraid of stuff like this nowadays. They're growing up, uh, yeah, I don't, seeing some real shit they shouldn't have seen. The opening for the Hitchhiker, I don't think, is on a lot of people's. <laughs> I would, I, would not. I would hope not. So Maybe anyway, you've horrified a I new mean, generation. I was going to say fans. this. So if the you know it's on topic, things we were afraid of that we shouldn't have been. Indeed, so. very much so. Uh, thank you for that window into your mind. You're welcome. Uh, first for me is Dreamscape, uh, 1984. Joseph Rubin, director of Money Train, um, and much like Don't Be Afraid of the Dark, this is somewhat of a horror movie, but it's way more of a like sci-fi thriller movie. It's supposed to be kind of spooky and like weird with like some like, whoa, we just blew your mind yeah, moments. Yeah. And this movie scared the living shit out of me. I saw this in the theater with my brother and who's like not quite four years older than me. And that night we came home and I was he had two twin beds in his room and I was like, can I sleep in your room? He was like, no, and slammed the door. And I slept on the floor outside his room because I was too scared to go into my room because this whole movie is about going into people's dreams, which I didn't see the Nightmare on Elm Street movies until I guess it was that it was later that I saw those because I feel like I didn't see the first one in the theater. Um, but even still, those movies never really seemed real of like going into people's dreams. But I guess maybe because this was like, more science based it spoke to me on some <laughs> felt I don't more know. possible yeah but uh here's a scene of a young gill being traumatized with uh dream work so let's uh check this out from dreamscape alex stand by and project What are you doing? Are you the babysitter, Alex? Uh, yeah, I'm the babysitter. Because most of the time they just leave it here. You don't have to be afraid. You know the snake man? The who? The snake man. The snake man? What do you mean, like the boogeyman? He's outside and he wants to come in and get me. The snake man! Oh, hey, hey, hey. I'm not going to let him get you. Just let me see who it is, all right? Nobody there. Are you sure, Alex? He's always there. 
supposed to be a little scary but right. it's not but like, it's not supposed to be horrifying yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> there was a movie that i saw as a way younger than this kid that like a babysitter was watching that was something to do with a witch and i've repressed that memory so deep i don't even remember what movie it is return from witch no, no i don't think so escape from witch mountain because i looked at that because i thought maybe it was but it wasn't i don't think it was that anyway that movie scared the shit out of me too but other than as a kid that movie <laughs> frightened me to no end um, oh wow! Joseph Rubin also directed *Sleeping with the Enemy*. Yeah, <laughs> and *The Good Son*, which is a legitimately hilarious uh, horror film starring Macaulay Culkin. And I saw that in the theater. Yeah. Uh, next for me is a. This is creepy, and more like miss spent seventies money where it was like this will be a good idea, <laughs> and it's Raggedy Ann and Andy's musical adventure. <laughs> And I didn't see this in the theater, but they ran it on TV. And I don't know if they only ran it once or they only ran it a couple times, but this scared the shit out of a lot of kids to the point where they got a lot of phone calls from the parents of like, what the fuck are you putting on TV? And they pulled it and I don't, you can't even really get it on video. And it's, I mean, by today's standards, it would be nothing. But at the time of being four and a half and sitting down for a delightful Raggedy Ann and Andy <laughs> romp on CBS or whatever it was on, uh, was terrifying. So let's check out a scene this movie's long. It's like two hours of just batshit crazy uh, puppets. It's the, the plot is sort of Toy Story-esque, where it's like when the kid leaves, the toys come to life, and they do it in a horrifying manner. So let's check it out. Oh, this is too good to be true. Captain <laughs> stole that bed away in his pirate ship. Stick him up. Bang! <laughs> the flag says you need help. You need help. <laughs> no, you need help. <laughs> From a helpful person who gets a big kick out of helping people who need help. <laughs> now I bet you want to know where Babette is. Yes. Am I right? How did you know that? <laughs> well, leave it to Sir Leonard Looney. <laughs> the looniest night of the year. Oh, that's not terrible. <laughs> uh, I'll show you your little old Babette. <laughs> Fasten your eye on this super optoscope. Okay, what do you see? I don't see anything. I do. You've got a black eye. <laughs> you lay off my sister, Sir Leonard. Oh, have some gum. Oh, that kills me. Hey, what is this? Welcome to Looney Land. <laughs> it's where all the practical jokes in the world come from. And guess what? We're going to try them all out on you. Come on, let's get out of here. Oh, I love it, I love it. <laughs> Once you're in, you're in, and nobody ever gets out of Looney Land. <laughs> Why are you doing all this to us? It's easy. Ah! <laughs> 
<laughs> the reason that I is cause I love you. The reason that I is cause I care. And every mad invention I bring to your attention is just to show how much I need you there. The fact that I go means I adore you. I'll show you every crazy way I do. You may be all the tatters, but laughter's all that matters. And that's how I love you. Oh, boy! His singing was Horrifying. scary, that's for sure. Yeah, there's a way too many musical numbers, even though they call it a musical adventure in general, but it, they're all fucking Whew. creepy and weird and scary. It didn't get creepy till the end, I think, with the You're not funhouse tongue. fucking four years old watching it. I'm not a total It's not the opening to The Hitchhiker, but it is that's a little bit frightening. Uh, and last for me is the Ne Plus Ultra of movies that shouldn't scare you, but did uh, from... Master of the Macabre, Ron Howard, and that is the 2001 awful, sinister mind fuck movie, A Beautiful Mind, uh, that I had to leave in the middle of and <laughs> gather myself. I love that you left back. in the middle of the movie. How old were you? Uh, 28, 32. <laughs> Um, there's some drafty, there's some drafty doors open in the back of Gil's mind. Yeah, folks. so 2001, yeah, 27. <laughs> so old enough then. Yeah, yeah, we're, we're, I'm aware of that. Um, <laughs> I mean, look at that image. That's horrifying. <laughs> so, what was it that freaked you out so badly about a beautiful mind? Uh, I think I was in a fragile place at the time, and it was the fact that. It was his reality wasn't in any way re- real, and it was that sort of like moment. And it's supposed to be like, oh, weird. He thought it was real, and it wasn't real. And for me, it was just like a. Well, I think it's break. supposed to be more than that, but it's not supposed to scare the shit out of you. It's right. supposed to be like it's not supposed to. It's supposed to cut be more you of to a your soul. It's supposed to be more of a whoa, yeah. not like uh, oh my god, you know. Right. And mine was not much, make you leave the theater. Mine was much more <laughs> the latter. And crazily enough, when I left. In the snack area was a guy I hadn't seen in like ten years, and even that was just like, "What the fuck? I gotta, I gotta talk to you later." Bye. <laughs> um, so yeah, this was a horrifying experience. So let's check out the trailer that, in no way, is really frightening at all, <laughs> and I'll barely make it through. John Nash was one of the most brilliant minds of his generation. Welcome to Princeton. Who among you will be the next Einstein? Find a truly original idea. And it's the only way I will ever distinguish myself. It's the only way I will ever matter. He saw the world. Where's Nash? Out there, looking for his original idea. <laughs> in ways that no one could imagine. This flies to the face of 150 years of theory. Congratulations, John. It's the achievement of a lifetime. From producer Brian Grazer and director Ron Howard. I'm wondering... Professor Nash, if I can ask you to dinner. You do eat, don't you? 
How big is the universe? Infinite. How do you know for sure? I don't, I just believe it. It's the same with love, I guess. The extraordinary gift. What can I do for the Department of Defense? That set him apart. You are the best natural code breaker I have ever seen. You've done your country a great service, son. Would push his mind. Get in. What is wrong with you? Beyond its limits. Universal Pictures, DreamWorks Pictures, and Imagine Entertainment present. You have to help me. One man's journey to the greatest discovery of all. You don't know it's real. This is real. Academy Award winner Russell Crowe, Academy Award nominee Ed Harris, and Jennifer Connelly. Perhaps it is good to have a beautiful mind, but an even greater gift is to discover a beautiful heart. A beautiful mind. horrifying oh even the trailer was full-on just yeah. cheese prestige like indeed he's a man <laughs> and so there you have it so but tell you can t- tell people what it, exactly the scene was because you didn't you, i mean you're like trying not to give it the movie away no we've talked about it before it's i mean pretend that the same person hasn't been watching for two years uh the only people watching uh, yeah. the same people who've been watching for two years the so as the movie progresses, he uh, becomes a more and more important code breaker, and then it turns out that it's all in his head, to a certain extent. It's or Paul, is it? It's Paul Bettany's yeah. character that's the key. Right. Paul so Bettany his, plays like he his, plays his, his friend that his he meets friend in and Princeton. confidant at Princeton because he's and alone. he's not actually there. And then he's talking to his friend, and someone's like, "Who are you talking to?" And he's like, "My friend." Yeah. And he's and then Paul Bettany's like. I'm not real. I'm like so then, the when the comments movie. come in that Jason is in fact is not on the show, yeah, and I've just been talking to myself the whole time. That's yeah. when the real crack will happen. You know, you're not just in my head, not the other way around. Hmm. Yeah. That, that's not yeah, funny. Yeah, exactly. How do we all, how do we know we're not someone else's dream? Exactly. Okay, so let's see what you guys were scared by that you shouldn't have been. Let's look at the Adult Swim picks for movies you were scared of that you shouldn't have been. Who framed Roger Rabbit? <laughs> there, th- there's can, some creepy shit in when there. the I judge can... melts yeah. yeah that's pretty creepy Lord of the Rings again there's some legit it's a family movie but there's some legitimately creepy stuff in there Labyrinth I think is the same thing that 80s time where like yeah horror and sci-fi was colliding E.T. I'm not quite sure I get unless you were talking about being scared of like the men running through the woods with the flashlights and I mean it's kids in peril so I could yeah. see like if you're you're probably afraid that some delightful alien's going to come and <laughs> drink all your beer. You. I'll tell you what, as an adult, if an alien came and drank all my fucking beer, I'd be scared of that. Um, and then go- ghost, ghost, ghost I just, don't. I can't tell if that's I real or not. Being scared of ghost. Maybe you're Patrick, just afraid of true love. No, maybe you're afraid of of molding clay or afraid of Demi Moore. I mean, I don't. I feel like we shouldn't make fun 
but no, I, I mean, I just don't. We're get, saying our picks were ridiculous. Yeah, I don't understand. So those are good, ridiculous picks. Yeah. Um, so let's look at the tsunami uh, fan picks. So the top five. Jumanji, Jumanji definitely Jumanji, just at the wrong age to see Jumanji, that movie and be scared of. Well, Jumanji's just giant animals and shit coming out of this. So if you're right. scared of any of those animals, I yeah. guess I could see RoboCop. I mean, you shouldn't see that as a kid. Yeah, I think that's uh, <laughs> that's poor parenting yeah. movie. Scooby Doo on Zombie Island. Um, that's a fun. That's yeah. a funny one. Brave I, Little I, Toaster. If you were young enough when that came out, I it was for sure see that. pretty weird stuff in Brave Little Toaster. And then Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. The same yeah, thing. Just like, like Willy Wonka. The right. I mean, what they mean is Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Charlie and the Chocolate Factory is the book, but the the. Definitely the part where they go through the tunnel right. and they show the chicken's head getting cut off. And like, there's some scary stuff in there. And I still showed it to my daughter. Yeah. Um, so thank you for joining us on our journey into our psychoses and particularly Gil's hilarious psychoses. Uh, I always thank enjoy you. talking about your um, foibles. Yeah. Your bugaboos. <laughs> um, so now we're on to our sneak peeks. So first up, we have a promo for uh, Dragon Ball Super. Uh, episode number 38, which will be airing uh, at 11 p.m. So let's check that out. On the next all-new episode of Dragon Ball Super. And begin! He's found nothing I haven't seen before! Are you able to see any of Hit's attacks? Not a one. Dragon Ball Super, Saturday at 11. You dare mock me! And then uh, we have our first teaser for our next Total Immersion event, Tom's newest adventure, Tom and Sarah's newest adventure, and it's called Countdown. It will be four episodes that will be starting in uh, November, on November 4th. And it's going to be at the top of the block, right? Should be, yeah. It's kicking off the block. Final so, time to be determined. Yeah. So this is the uh, sneak peek teaser for Countdown. Figure up, wait it. We'll blow up the ship if you have to. If you can. <laughs> But you have to, or we're all dead. We worked real hard, and we hope you guys like it. Um, I think it's going to end up being a little longer than uh, Intruder 3, but very similar in structure in terms of the length. And Um, plot. (laughs) <laughs> no intruder this time <laughs> um, And then uh, Finally we have a music video from Outlands uh, Which we thought was cool I know we've been on a run lately But we keep getting cool ones So we're just going to keep showing them to you No apologies So let's check that out Maybe this is the one The one I won't come back from The end this is the real world. The underworld. There's no place for pretty ideals. You said that you didn't need comrades. But I'm attracted to that word. To the point of tears. That star is the tear of a warrior. A lost soul who has finished his battle. Will you come with me? It'll be like watching a dream. The same blood runs through both of us. The blood of a beast who wanders. Death. 
is always at our side. If we do not show fear, it casts its eye upon us gently and guides us into infinity. It's all a dream. Just a dream. That was a cool one. I mean, you were right. Keep getting cool ones. So um, next up is Moving Pictures, and I haven't done this in a while, but Moving Pictures is a segment where I review a movie suggested to me by you guys, the viewers. So I decided to review the Studio Ghibli film, The Red Turtle, um, which came out last year, and I hadn't had a chance to see it in the theater. Um, Spoiler alert, it's Studio Ghibli, and I liked it. Have you seen it? No, uh, I have not. So, um, was this originally only at the Ghibli Museum, or am I thinking no, of the? Other? That's a Totoro yeah. short. Yeah, this was um, this was a, I believe, a French director, and it's like an international project. They just decided to fund it, right? Um, but it's it's really beautiful. So here's the, let's watch the trailer so you can get a sense of the movie, and then we will watch my segment. Um, so yeah, let's check out my moving pictures. Hello, Tsunami Faithful. It's Jason DeMarco with another edition of Moving Pictures in which I watch a movie that you guys recommended to me. And we're here in my office. So that's why the background's crazy and I'm on a spinning seat. So the movie I chose to watch this time was The Red Turtle, which is an amazing and very unusual animated film that came out in 2016. It uh, premiered at Cannes, at the Cannes Film Festival. It was a film, Un Certain Regard. It's a really unusual movie in more ways than one. Its origin story is that uh, there's an animator named Michael Dudikot de Witt, who was a Dutch animator, and he made a short called 
called Father and Child, I believe, like 10 years ago. And when uh, Hayao Miyazaki saw that short, he was like, I want to work with that guy. And he met with a French production company who came to Studio Ghibli for a visit like seven years ago. He showed them the short and he said, I want you to find this guy and I want to make a movie with him. And so they found him and he was like, uh, sure. And then they went into production on The Red Turtle. The producer of the film was Takahata, who is, of course, a Studio Ghibli genius, who's done so many great movies. And, but otherwise, it looks like it was Michael Dudikoff DeVitt and a very small group of people working on this one little movie for like years and years. That's not a common animated film origin story, even for an anime that's like. Like the idea that the commercial prospects of this movie would be almost non-existent. So it premiered in uh, Japan and France, where it was called Le Turtle Rouge. You know, obviously it didn't do great because it's such a niche film, but it was nominated for an Oscar for um, Best Animated Film in 2016. It did not win, but it was. it's a great movie. The story of The Red Turtle is really, really simple. It's almost like a fable. And in fact, after I watched it, I looked online, I, you know, I thought this must be some Danish fable or something, but it's a completely original story written by uh, Dudikov Duvit. And so it's crazy how well he makes it feel like a parable or a fable that you've known for years, but it's, it's not. So the story concerns a man that is shipwrecked at the beginning of the film and he spends time on the island and the island basically he's on a small island and he has food and he has fresh water and so he's not going to die but he's trying to get off the island and you don't know what the time period is but it looks kind of like from his clothes that it's in the maybe the 17 or 1800s and he's trying to get off the island there's a ton of wide shots in the movie they like the and they, they they have this really interesting art style where they use charcoal for the backgrounds and it makes everything hyper detailed and really painterly in a weird way and and you know the face of the main character is not that expressive he doesn't talk there's no dialogue in the whole movie so you kind of have to just go with the flow and let the movie sort of unfold so it's interesting it's way slower than most animated films of any kind lots of long shots with no music no you know nothing but sound so it's it's a really interesting contrast from even most even slow anime it doesn't feel like anything else which i think is hard to achieve so he's trying to get off the island and he keeps building this raft and it keeps getting destroyed by this eventually what's revealed to be this giant red turtle the turtle comes on the island and he gets so mad he like knocks it over the head and turns it over and the turtle dies or so he thinks but then the turtle transforms into a woman so then the rest of the movie he and this woman fall in love and they have a child and the rest of the movie is about them being together and teaching their child how to live and swim and then eventually the child gets old enough to want to leave because he's an adult basically after this sort of catastrophic event happens and then the rest of the movie is them growing old together and eventually dying. So it's like the first, it's a total like circle of life, but it's never explained why the woman is a turtle <laughs> and the son has like a special relationship with turtles, but the guy is just a normal human. It's never explained and it doesn't really need to be because it's clearly supposed to be 
more of a fable. It's interesting because in a way, the fact that there's no dialogue lets you get deeper into it because you're just, you're really identifying with the characters because they're kind of blank slates for you to just project yourself onto. That's what happened to me anyway, and I found it really engrossing, but it is really slow. Like if you're in a, if you're feeling tired, you do not necessarily want to throw in the red turtle because you're going to fall right asleep. Okay, this is my impression of a tired person watching the red turtle. Oh, yeah. This is, oh, yeah. I don't really have that much more to add because there's not, you know, it's a pretty clear, it's pretty clear what the movie's about. It's about the circle of life and death and love that we all go through. So it's a very universal story. It doesn't have any dialogue, so it can work in any language, any country in the world. So if you have any interest, I think it's worth 80 minutes of your time. It's certainly one of the most beautiful, unusual looking movies I've seen in a long time. It's just gorgeous. I think worth checking out and a worthy addition to the Studio Ghibli library and Takahata's work in particular. I hope in 10 years we get another film from Michael Dudukot devitt and, and Studio Ghibli, but I commend them for even doing it because they, they couldn't have made any money off of it. It's just beautiful work. Um, so as a fan of animation, I think you owe it to yourself if you are a fan of animation to check it out. So that's my review of The Red Turtle. If you want to see me review on any other animated film that I might not have seen, hit me up at ClarkNova1 on Twitter and suggest it to me, and I'll see you next time for another Moving Pictures. See ya. Spinny! You sold me. I might watch it tonight. <laughs> I appreciate it. Um, so if you guys have any other suggestions see, that's for- how you support a fellow hosts uh, are you referring to um no. trash mcgee mm-hmm. um i'm not sure what you're talking about not so uh, that. if you want to suggest an animated film for me to watch just hit me up at clark nova one on my twitter account and suggest me some movies you think i should see that i haven't uh and then finally we have an adult swim single for the week so we've been doing a full year of adult swim singles um Every Wednesday we promote we premiere a new one, usually around noon. Uh, this week's track is by the amazing More Mother, um, and it is a three-hour song <laughs> uh, called "Durational Sound Installation" from Moogfest. Uh, More Mother is sort of a super avant-garde uh, noise artist. Uh, I really like her. Her music's not for everyone, but for those of you who do like the kind of stuff she makes, I think you'll love this track. She asked us, can I give you a three-hour track? And we were like, yeah, more bang for your buck. So definitely winning the longest title of longest singles track for and the year. And maybe the longest title as well. Yeah. Um, please check out a brief sample of Durational Sound Installation by More Mother. Just one hour. Just, just a minute. You can hear the whole thing at adultswim.com slash singles. And again, we'll be having new tracks up every single week for the rest of this year and into next year. So check them all out. They're all free. Um, and I think that concludes our... Do you have any last minute no. fears? 
Do no, you want to confess so. of I've, things you're afraid of that you shouldn't be? No. Uh, I'm mostly only afraid of spiders, the dark, clowns, human, small puppets, human other humans. Emotions. Um, commitment. Too many people, too few people. <laughs> uh, apples. Soap. And, yeah. The cool. smell of frosting. <laughs> cool. Thanks well, for checking in Thanks with for us. watching. See you next week.